Welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Seb. And with me, Robbie. And this week, our episode 29. And this week, it's Video Nasties and The Last House on the Left, 1972. So this is a new feature. We uh, we always like to bring new features to you. And we'll be looking to kind of some of the Video Nasties, as they were known in the UK, from around the kind of 70s to 80s. Those kind of gritty, low-budget horror exploitation films that kind of flooded the the VHS market. Um, And we're just going to be taking a little dive into some of these films. Um, And we thought, where best to start than, you know, Wes Craven's directorial debut, which... As you're listening to an episode about video nasties, <laughs> uh, which was obviously banned in the UK, um, and that is the last house on the left from 1972. Yeah, so um, obviously Wes Craven. We are both big Wes Craven fans uh, across the board, not just his standard Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street, but also things like The Hills Have Eyes. Those are kind of like. Yeah drilled into our horror love and he probably is one of the ones that kind of started my kind of love of horror him and john carpenter are pretty much the ones that yeah, sculpted definitely. my love of horror um but on the case of him having such a well for me and you was this the first time you've seen this film yeah it was, it was as well yeah for I've both seen, of us yeah i'd seen the 2009 remake yeah um, so and i i saw it shortly after it was released and then i watched it maybe a year ago or something like that i just randomly stumbled across it again and felt like watching it um and thematically and kind of plot wise the films are kind of extremely similar aren't they um yeah the, the the basic story is pretty much along the same lines the way that they approach it is quite different I yeah think. definitely um but before we get onto the last house on the left, I thought we might want to have a little talk about so we can make it clear for viewers out there who are going, "What the fuck is uh, what the fuck is video nasty?" or "What the hell is Britain?" <laughs> <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> who are you? What have you done? But to be fair, we did get a lot of uh, American viewers and European. Well, viewers American there. viewers should know us. We used to own you, <laughs> <laughs> kind of, <laughs> kind of, in a bad way. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it'll be in there. We are in your history books, not for the best reasons. No, definitely. Not for the best reasons. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you kind of give a, a little thing, but just to talk about. So um, before we can get to the the video nasty era, okay, we kind of have to go a little bit further back, and this is more in the sixties and seventies, and uh, this goes back to the. British, is it British Broadcasting of Film uh, Classification? Yeah, British Brit- Broadcasting. British Board of Film Classification. Oh, board, that's what I meant. Not <laughs> There we go. I'm, I, it's almost a tongue twister on my tongue that I was trying to get it. It is that. a little yeah. bit, isn't it? So British Board of Film Classification. Um, obviously, they'd been around for quite a long time, since uh, pretty much near, not long after the beginning of when we first got films in around 1910, we'd have a kind of back history of that. But they themselves had always been a little bit of a thorn in the side of certain types of cinema. So when we're talking about things like The Last House on the Left or The Exorcist or pretty much anything that it contained gore, 
nastiness, sexual content, anything like that. Understandably, as times change and tastes change in cinema, we have to kind of have some way of balancing out what's going to happen and what can be released and what can't be released. But by the time we got to the point in the 60s, but mainly the 70s and the 80s, when audiences' tastes had changed and there was a big want for this, well, very much like we've Last House on the Left, this kind of what some people would call exploitative, yeah. sexual, gratuitous violence, you know, all the things that probably people listen to this fucking love, yeah. you know, is pretty much what they fucking hate it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> except uh, they'd cut the word fucking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of post-World War II Britain, and Britain in general, kind of, even to nowadays to a little bit, is a, quite a reserved country, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I've ever spoke about this on the show before, but there is a, um, there's an amazing kind of World War II um, war video for Americans that they released um, for like GIs coming over to the UK. And it's about how they should act in a pub. Um, if you find it on YouTube, it's absolutely hilarious. And it's just about this, about how the UK people are and how like we're very reserved, <laughs> we, you know, and it's like, it's just funny. It's just, it starts off and it's like, there's, there's a man and his son, both of them are in the Navy. <laughs> Watch as they, play cards and <laughs> it's just like going and it just kind of explains and it, if you look at it now it's kind of really it seems really overly done but kind of british people uh for most of the 50s and kind of the 60s war kind of very prudish and war very reserved yeah um, i mean if you look at the, like the explosion of beatlemania and music and stuff like that you see a massive change in pop culture from around the 60s yeah um and as we kind of come in and, you know, we start to trade films with America and we start to do stuff like that. Um, and, you know, the, these kind of exploitation films kind of became big. And back then you wouldn't have had so much, so much. You, we didn't have the internet, so you wouldn't see trailers. You wouldn't be able to watch it. A lot of, it was a lot of word of you'd mouth. Only, yeah, you'd only see it on, you know, the, there wasn't even the com- as much of the trailers on tv and things like that wasn't as common at least in the the, you know the early days of tv and things like that over in the the uk and on top of that you'd also pretty much the only time you'd know about new films was if you were going to the cinema yeah (laughs) you know or reading about them in magazines and things like that which don't exactly have the same context and like you said about the, the video but that's still the way that some americans think that we are they think we're all like upper class, well-spoken, kind of very reserved. Um, when there are a lot of things in our country that we can do that they can't do over, you know. Yeah, face strange. You know, there are there are lots of things like that. And to them, the way that we drink and things like that and the ages for our drinking, a lot of them go like, a lot of, to them, in America anyway, it's a bit like, that's preposterous, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Use of her British word. But then we, <laughs> but then they also laugh at the, the TV license, you know, yeah, well, <laughs> which yeah. is quite funny. Like, <laughs> and it's, I mean, I don't think I don't agree with the TV license. Let me just—I'm just throwing that out. There. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so in terms of going back to that kind of that point in the '60s and '70s, now video nasty was kind of spawned from this huge sweep of banned cinema. 
where a lot of films just constantly, in, they basically say, unless you're going to cut like huge portions of this film, which a lot of directors would just like, no, I'm not cutting yeah. huge portions. This is the way the film was meant to be. And in which case they said, well, then we're not showing your film yeah. in our country. Um, because and- they would have, because it, well, it was very, um, you know, I mean, if you look at kind of, we will, we will get into it, sorry to cut you off, but when we look at these kind of exploitation films, there's a, there is a lot of kind of, um, they might seem relatively tame by nowadays, but kind of if you look, if you're looking at it through that kind of yeah through lens, the lens yeah then it is quite shocking and there is a lot that you wouldn't have seen in usual films you know no. there is a lot of blood and there is a lot of stuff so it was such heavy cuts that needed to be made to be able to kind of please the BBFC and to be able to receive a theatrical viewing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, carry on. Eve. But yeah, but that basically, those cuts were what would basically water down the film to the point of not being what they were. You know, if you had certain horror films or psychological thrillers or even films that had a high sexual content, if you got rid of them, then it kind of got rid of the whole purpose of the film that you were watching which obviously was a, a huge fight. And I think one of the biggest ones for our country was The Exorcist. Yeah, that was a big one. Because that wasn't just horror and it wasn't just kind of psychological. So, yes, it wasn't scary. It didn't. It involved a child, for one, which they were very much, but it wasn't even the child. It was religion. Yeah. At a point when our country, our, I wouldn't say that our country is as like, feverishly religious as we were back then. But back then, it was still very much communities. I'm not saying we don't have communities now, but we're very different in our approach to communities and the way we live kind of now. Whereas back then, it all still felt a little bit more like wider communities. You'd go to church and things like that. We're very much still a part of, which might be a part in some parts of America, listening like all church is a huge part of them. There are still parts more Southern. I believe that are very much more like very much churches still. For us, although there are still parts, it's no longer like an expectation that you'd be someone going to church on Sunday. Yeah, the, you know? it was. We were very, you know, Church of England. Ch- was yeah, a Church huge, of like, England. Over. Yeah, <laughs> over. well, religious leaders had a, a lot of power. Uh, I don't know if power is the right word, but they had a lot more sway, didn't they? Influ- you know? Yeah, had a lot more influence. Yeah, um, and yeah, a lot, a lot of people were kind of religious and, and were going, were, were kind of in that secular lifestyle you know um i I don't know if i were to use that word right um but i mean if you if you look through the list of kind of films that the bbfc did kind of um you know ban and stuff like that you've got stuff like a clockwork orange yeah um although apparently that was withdrawn by stanley kubrick um oh yeah yeah because you know himself (laughs) and his family really received death threats yeah um and there was a link you know this is kind of around this is around the same time that that, that the usual bullshit started of we have these you know graphic exploitive films and it's you know mimicking real life violence yeah. and a lot you know if you, in the 60s you had stuff I, I think it was the 60s where you had the moors murders yeah. i think you had maybe mary bell in the 60s as well um but the 70s we had the yorkshire ripper 70s like the yorkshire so, ripper. You know. so a lot of people were, were, were going with that bullshit argument of you know copycats and people being exposed to this violence on the screen is yeah. what's causing them um so yeah the kind of video nasties became this massive thing didn't they 
Yeah, so building off of the, the, the band films that we were talking about, um, the, there was a loophole in the system. Now, the BBFC had power over the cinema, but at this point in time, they didn't actually have the same power over video releases at home because it was such a kind of new thing and, you know, a craze and to some a fad or something like that, yeah. you know what I mean? Ah, <laughs> uh, Wes Craven, a fad. <laughs> fad yeah. <laughs> It, it actually became the point where there was no rating system in place for our videos. So the films that got denied in the cinema would then get, although not quite often they weren't properly official releases, they would get kind of unofficial released videos and VHS. It, well, I'm saying video. It is a VHS. A VHS across the country would be released. Um, so for a short period of time between... Around about 1982, <laughs> so this is how long, say, Last House on the Left had waited. It had been told it couldn't go to cinemas. It had tried several times, and it had tried to get to certain points. And then in the uh, around 1980, it managed to it started to appear. So all these people in the UK had never seen it. Then they got a chance to see it because it started to appear on video. And then not just them, but lots of films. So like The Burning and The Beyond and all of these different Evil Dead, things Evil like that. Dead all of these a... films that weren't allowed official releases suddenly became this huge underground kind of video sourcing of we've got this film for you. Here you go, like taken from other countries. We've got a copy of this film. And it became this little like things you'd think like at that time, obviously things like, porn and things like that like videos of porn like they sometimes could be rated but they were still very much like no some porn was still deemed illegal and things like that yeah so they couldn't pass these things on so it became video nasties and videos nasty was actually um the nasty part actually came originally they used to refer to books that were banned as a kind of nasty okay so it came from like school playgrounds where teachers would take away books because they were nasty so they had like books like uh, uh, there was books called like based on like um, like animal horror, like slugs and rats. And they used to oh, have wow. these different titles that were based on those. And the nasty thing actually came from there where they said that children were getting bad influences from these different kinds of comics like uh, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. It used to be a comic and they used to be, no, you're not having that. Like, that's nasty. disgusting. That's nasty. Um, and they thought that children got bad ideas from them. And this is where video nasty came from because they believed that all of these films that were starting to get released and they believed if it was a video that a child could get hold of a copy, which I'm sure loads of them did. <laughs> so I'm sure lots of people like whole, got their whole experience of horror films, like, oh, there's a videotape, that kind of thing. Um, and people being able to have access to them, they believed that it had a bad impact in culture. And that's why they banned them in the first place is because they shouldn't have been released. They shouldn't get to see these horrific images like we're going to talk about Last House on the Left, things that like they shouldn't. And at the time, in the in the lens of things, we'll come back to this, but it definitely, for some of these kinds of films, I mean, looking back, I can understand why certain films would have been, you know, some films that are on these lists are ones that we could probably still look at and occasionally have a bit of that, oh, okay, that's a bit, you know, that's a bit too, that's a bit far, or that's a bit, <laughs> that's a bit you know, I don't know if that's handled the best way, or that could inspire, although, you know, not really a believer that a, a film or something or a game inspires yeah, violence in people. Um, but this was their belief in a very kind of Church of England kind of world. They were very much that, no, you can't, you shouldn't be seeing images like that. You know, there was, of course, ones released, you know, things like even Aliens. Aliens got released, but that's because they didn't consider it a horror film. 
because they believed it was si- it, because it was set in space <laughs> yeah. didn't count. So basically, if you'd done Last House on the Left in space, <laughs> then suddenly it's fine. So ah, that's yeah. what I mean. So there was a lot of problems with these with <laughs> with this whole concept. Um, but quickly, obviously, they started to catch on to this. And it, around 1982, they deemed that these unofficial ones were illegal. Oh, wow. So you could literally, if you were the person selling them, you could get jail time for the fact that you were selling these videos. <laughs> you know, the same way we got when we had the boom of like DVD piracy. Yeah. Um, this is what we would get with videos. So they were linked with the same people that at one point in time, if you recorded a film off of TV, it was illegal to do that. So you weren't allowed, even though you could record TV, you weren't allowed to record films and then pass them on or sell them or things like that because that was deemed as distribution. Yeah. distribution. Um, so yeah, they, they had all of these films and it started to become illegal, which actually in some ways drove it even up because not only did we have films that were playing right into it, so on their posters and stuff, even with The Exodus and things like this, they started playing right into it and going, yeah. it's so scary, they've had to ban it. And then it's like literally uh, on the, the poster for Last House on the Left, it literally says you'll have to keep repeating to yourself. It's this just is, a film. It's just a film. It's just a film. It's just a film. So they completely kind of took this and were like that. And it drove this market of people who were like, I want to see these films. And it, it, yeah, it, it became this kind it of, just... you know what I mean? If, if you told me that like horror films they said were illegal, then we're, it's going to suddenly, it's like when you're freaking 16 and you're told you can't have a drink. It's like, well, yeah. but it does. And then suddenly, the second you turn 18, you're like, why is it not as fun? Yeah. And you're like, that's because it's not illegal anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something that shouldn't really be, a, like, well, should be illegal, but, you know, should yeah. in some ways is, you know, suddenly like, oh, that's not as fun anymore because I'm not going to, I won't get in trouble for it anymore. Yeah. Um, Imagine so, yeah. if like it was that was still the case, and we had to do we had to release this. This, like, this is like it's like nineteen eighty four with yeah. podcasts kind of thing, like and we George get... Orwell kind yeah. of like we're doing this in a secret bunker to yeah. bring you cast me down, and we end up like getting arrested and <laughs> yeah. to the Queen's justice, <laughs> hung for talking about Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging never went away. Yeah, hanging never went away. <laughs> the Church of England took power. <laughs> State execution for for watching. Like, uh, I don't um, know, yeah. So on these lists of, uh, we've got a huge list in front of us, and um, on our like on our Instagram at CMT Podcast, I posted one earlier of like a whole bunch of the different kinds of film pictures of those that were kind of released. Um, but uh, it's just insane. So what we've got, we've got ones like scanners. Yeah. Um, certain Friday the 13th were had to be cut for them to get certain releases and things like that. I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, I, I, I when I say I, I always remember that, I mean, like when I was young, yeah, you know, when you would see, you would hear things about it and yeah, refused a cinema t- certificate in 1975 and then was actually allowed uncut in 1999. Yeah, that's which is mental, isn't it? To think it? that they didn't get that kind of, is just insane. So, um yeah so uh, and then there's just one to where they, they made cuts and they no one got to see the uncut version for like a long time so passed with cuts for cinema for the hills have eyes um and it no one actually got to in the uk it was never it what the full uncut version wasn't released until 2003 which would have been on dvd at that point kind of thing yeah. i thought that one said it says home sweet home i thought it said home uh Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> yeah, the, the notorious song. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we've talked before about like things like mentioned like Zombie Two and things like yeah. zomb- you know Zombie Holocaust and 
all those kind of ones, the zombie flesh eaters, they were all like they were all banned as you know, banned from a thing, uh, banned from cinema. Um, and all had, you know, were themed in this same way. And you had a lot of people getting behind this kind of whole strategy. This, these films, these video nasties, pretty much shaped the way that we kind of rate films in the UK Definitely. today. Um, these were a huge part of it. So to go to, as our main example today, The Last House on the Left. Now, The yeah. Last House on the Left originally tried to, you know, tried to get release um, in, I think it was 1974 in the UK, because back then it was a longer process between getting a film from the UK, the US to the UK. <laughs> um, and um, they they just I, they just were like, no, no. At that point, they didn't even offer cuts or things like that, because they were just like, no, there's just too much. This is just not going to work at all. So they came back a couple of years later in 1978 and said, we've cuts that they would consider it. And then the amount of cuts that they wanted were just like still... Nope, no, nope, we're still not going to do that. We're still not going to have that many cuts in our our film. So this would give became like a long process of constantly trying to get different people to go. Yeah, we will actually release your film. Well, you, I, I mean, you can you can get that because it, it's hard to censorship is is hard to justify. Yeah, in my in my eyes, it's hard to kind of say yes you know, you should censor things. And I know a lot of people kind of don't get, have only just come around to the idea of, you know, horror films and stuff like that. And films themselves as a form of art. But you can't, you can't, you can't really put censors on art and that kind of stuff. And it's, no. it's a tricky one. Um, yeah. You know, because you don't want to have stuff that is it, clearly offensive, you know. But It is a very time. tricky one. And it definitely, I think, is, especially for the time frame, 1972 for this film, this film was pushing boundaries yeah, in a big way. Um, the, the the themes of you know s- sexual violence and you know gratuitous violence, like in some ways, and just general at times a kind of this one did at times have a kind of real sense of like. Well, it's not Im- re- like it's it's like, not imaginary violence, is it? No, it, it feels that's what I mean. It feels yeah. it feels real at times. There's some of it where you're like, that's just. It just holds onto a shot for a long time, yeah. and you're like, okay. Well, well, the whole idea of the e- exploitation film was the move away from the kind of the supernatural and the move away from that kind of stuff towards more real and towards more this kind this kind of everyday stuff that could potentially happen. Yeah, you know, start horror films that had kind of dominated um, stuff before. I mean, if, if you go back and even listen to episode three where we're predicting try to predict horror crazes we speak a lot about how you know 30s and 40s you had kind of a lot of dominance from stuff like hammer and universal and then you know 50s you had a lot of sci-fi and invasion of the body snatchers that kind of stuff um but 60s well kind of mid 60s onwards you do see this emergence of the kind of if you if we're talking about like rear window and peeping tom we see this more kind of grounded potentially yeah. could happen and then ex- the exploitation films almost took this a little bit of a step further you know i think yeah i i think and i this this film as well last house on the left is very much it's inspired not just by the generation it's the generation of not just the hippie generation you know what i mean that kind of coming down to think people finally accepting the reality around them very much people saying that they were in a bubble 
like the war and stuff like that yeah. had, had set off a, a certain kind of reality in like through to World War Two. But people tried to still return to this kind of let's try and return to what we had before it kind of yeah. thing. But by the time we got to the 60s, people started speaking out, like 50s to early 60s, people started speaking out and it became this kind of, the bubble started to burst and gender roles and stuff like that started to change and racial roles started to change. And then we had the Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War, although I know like more obviously American than the rest of the world, for like at least for like say American and things like that, it kind of showed images around the world of things that were just so grounded that we didn't see in the first wars. Yeah. Things that they kind of hid away more in the first. This time, it was on camera for everyone to see the violence yeah. that was happening around well, the world. I mean, first world war, there was a lot, a lot of pro, you know, pro war propaganda. People were signing up because they wanted to be heroes. Yes, and, and they thought that you know you go to war and it would be like. Not saying that, you know, they expected it to be, you know, fun and games, but they didn't expect it to be what it was, you know. And then a lot of people did come back kind of broken. Um, And there was a difference where, you know, World War, it was your duty, and you know, you you were expected and it was an honour to go and fight for your country. But then when people started to challenge things and started to think more, you know, I, I think they did still have conscription for Vietnam. I know that actually they did because Muhammad Ali obviously oh, yeah, yeah. refused to go. But they did, they had um, a lot more people challenging it and speaking out about it's a war that they shouldn't be involved in. Well, know? that's what I mean. There was a difference between Hitler's regime, which were actually was like, we need to stand up to this. Yeah. And the difference between one which was like, so why are we fighting this war? Yeah. That was the thing with Vietnam. It was the first, one of the first ones we were like, so why are we fighting this? Like, I get like they understood the reasons behind the other one, the horrific things that they were doing, but that one was not started on the same thing. That one was much more of a greed kind of thing. And yeah. that's where a lot of people started to speak out in that way. And that's why this whole, I think that's why seeing those images, things like that kind of brought people down to earth after a generation of like a hippie generation where they were very much kind of speaking out about their feelings and open up to things. And we were no longer had so much the housewife stereotypes and things like that. We had anyone could be anyone kind of thing. I think people much more were drawn to tell stories of a grounded appeal. Yeah. And I know that this is what Wes Craven wanted with this. Um, before we we get but before we get quite to that i'm just going to finish off because we did kind of trail off on where it's going (laughs) as we do we do that all the time but it's fine um i was just going to say so the um this so last on the house on the left is actually one of the main films that's actually doctored for why we ended up having the video recording act in 1984 okay so that's why they started to fight back against these video nasty that were coming through. But they, this is when they also used it as a proper, they used the term officially to do a list of video nasty. So before it was a term that was used, a colloquial kind of term that was used as like a slang kind of thing for these yeah. kind of films. Now it was officially called video nasties on a list of video nasties and was banned. And because any film that was kind of part of that regime pretty much got a ban to begin with and then had to go through once they'd set up the whole system, had to go through the whole system. And the remainder of the 1980s and the 90s, um, it had this cult, especially Last House on the Left as one of them. It had a cult kind of following of people who had actually got to see it and things like that before it got banned. And obviously there were still copies getting around and things like that. 
And in the UK, we have um, the one of the main people behind it. We have a, a critic called Mark Commode. Never heard of him. We've never. Heard. No. He, he's pretty. He pretty probably is our like one of the biggest in the thing. He's a bit of a dick. I gotta be honest. <laughs> We're you, calling you, you out. Into him, like I'm, I'm saying, he comes across like a bit of a dick. He might be lovely in a way, but when you're doing reviews and stuff, he's very much. But he is very much a lover of film and fights for it. And he fought for Last House on the Left. Ah, we he cool. literally went before the board <laughs> we cool. of classification and was like trying to give them, he got several occasions, he went in front of them and said, why this film is an important piece of cinema, not just, and he was one of the advocates for horror films early on when people said that they were just smut, you know, yeah. crap, you know, that kind of thing, all these things they would throw him. And he said, uh, he, he stood before them and gave a whole list of reasons for why this film should be allowed release, even if it's an 18 or something like that, it should be still be allowed a release. And 18, I'd say, is correct. Even now, I'd say 18 yeah, is probably still a correct term for this film. Um, they still said no. Oh. And the film... Thanks, so certain, even it started to get to points where certain councils in the UK were starting to actually, because there were uh, still some loopholes where a council could still say certain things were allowed. So they were starting to say that you can have this video on release in our part of the city, but not in other cities <laughs> and things like that. So that's how, like, it's, it's crazy that a film's created this kind of, you know, madness yeah, about, definitely. like, and changed the rules. Um and the film did not officially this the film actually did not officially get an official release it got given an 18 certificate on July 17th 2002 wow 2002 30 years after the film was made and it still had cuts fuck it still had 31 seconds of the film cut and it wasn't until 2008 that this film got an uncut version <laughs> literally <laughs> 36 years to get the last house on the left full uncut version that's mental so that is kind of a, a background of like video nasties <laughs> and a background of uk's madness with banned films and like what kind of sets up the fervor behind this film and why probably why some people may not have seen it so ways my people people might have stayed away from it and people think that this is just, oh, it must be a really bad film. You shouldn't watch this film kind of thing. And there still was, and it still follows this film kind of thing. Yeah. And it is interesting that, you know, after, after all of that, as much as they kind of say it's important, um, well, before I go there, is there anything else that you wanted before we go into, no, I think, you know... I mean, we've given a bit of an overview of Video Nasties. And I think this, like I said, this is going to be a series that we... We we are we do return to. I mean, if you if you actually go on the you know if you go on the Wikipedia for Video Nasty, um, there's about eighty two films um, yeah. that were kind of not given UK releases and were only passed with heavy cuts or released uncut many many years after. Not quite the thirty years after, but definitely many years after. And we're not gonna you know cover all of them <laughs> because some of them are probably yeah. shite um <laughs> let's be honest but, some of them will be exploitative you know just yeah. poor films that like probably deserve some of it <laughs> yeah but there's stuff like eaten alive which i want to you know i want to check out i mean there's hills have eyes i imagine we will come back to you because it's another wes craven texas chainsaw massacre you know prom yeah, night there's there's a whole bunch that we are going to to return to but i think for doing a feature like this, I think it's good to get stuck into what 
the video nasty is and the history. Um, so I guess let's jump into actually Last House on the Left. Yes. Um, if you've enjoyed that little chat about video nasties, mostly from Seb. Um, <laughs> not, no, no, don't be sorry, man. I've been off for a couple of days ill, so it's good that you're talking. Yeah, oh, well, I thought we might need a little yeah. update. And I've, I mean, I, there still will be a few little things about like cut things and things like that I'm going to throw in occasionally, as it is the video nasty is our feature of this. So still a few things I'll mention, but... Let's talk about the yeah. actual film. So it is um, Wes Craven's directorial debut, and it is ri- uh, written by Wes Craven. Craven. I know, interestingly enough, um, I think I remember you, you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago or a couple of episodes ago, um, Sean S. Cunningham from uh, Friday the 13th production uh, did actually produce this film. Um, yeah. It's starring Sandra Peabody, Lucy Grantham, David A. Hess, Fred Lincoln, uh Jeremy, I guess you pronounce yeah, Jeremy, it, Rain, Rain, and Mark Sheffer. Um, so the film actually itself does have a relatively low cast, small cast, should I say. Um, it's pretty contained, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty contained. Um, so the budget for this was $87,000, and actually went on to make $3.1 million, um at the box office. None yeah. of that would have obviously been from the UK. Yeah, not, it was good, not it was good money. I mean, um, one fella is this film is like a little... It's like a little treasure chest of your favorite horror franchises are kind of embedded in this. Obviously, yeah, like you said, like Wes Craven written, edited, and directed this film. Sean S. Cunningham from Friday the 13th fame, obviously, as well, is a major thing. And also in there is the, um, I found out that the, uh, the second unit director, so the little sideman to Wes Craven's director, um, was Steve Miner. And Steve Miner is the director of. Friday the 13th Part 2. Yeah. Halloween H2O. Yeah. Lake Placid. Wow. I mean, there's loads of them. There's a whole list of them. He's got a pretty extensive, like, background of thing uh, uh, that just, I was like, there's so many. And this little, what was a little kind of very independent, low budget, you know, nothing really yeah. to it. Sean S. Cunningham had made one big film before that, like, that had done fairly well that kind of gave him the chance to go... I'm going to give someone else an opportunity kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite nice that we've, this is a film that started a lot of careers when it was a hit yeah. bigger, a bigger hit than Sean S. Cunningham's first like film. His only made a hundred thousand, his first one, <laughs> whereas this one went on to make 3.1. So this would have been quite a big hit. And I bet the marketing for this is a huge reason why, as we mentioned to avoid fainting. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, why wouldn't that mean you want to watch a film? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, one thing that I didn't actually know before at all, I thought this was all kind of completely uh, Wes Craven's original idea. And whilst it is, and whilst he's written it, um, it is actually inspired by a Swedish film called The Virgin Spring from 1960, um, directed by, I'm, I'm believing it's pronounced Ingmar Bergman. Um, and that itself is actually based on a Swedish ballad, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. Um, and that's kind of, it does have it's very thematically and plot like very similar but obviously this is um <coughs> apologies this is um a bit more of an updated and i definitely you can see where the idea came from but this is definitely where you know wes craven does have his own touch on this film um i mean straight away from the opening um you this is quite strange when you watch anybody's directorial debut and particularly when 
you when you're going so far back as something like this i mean this film was for you know 40 years old yeah. um and when you the first Wes Craven film I would have watched was probably Nightmare on Elm Street. And then I probably would have watched Scream. And I almost went backwards with his work, yeah. with his work, you know, body of work. Um, so it is quite interesting because whilst I wouldn't say this is Wes Craven's, you know, Wes Craven's finest film, and I wouldn't say it's particularly his best film, um, you yeah. can see in there that there are, you can see the, you know, the, the groundwork for one of the greatest horror directors in there, you know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, obviously, we, this is our first time viewing it. So for some people, there might be, we haven't quite got the nostalgia trip we have with his other work. Yeah. Some of his other work, we have a bit of a, you know, they're the horror that raised us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a very strange way. But with uh, with his, his work <laughs> in this one, I can def you know, you can definitely, as you said, see that kind of groundwork laid out. You can see that he's got this kind of, dark humor yeah kind of in there that was very much hit with very much we expect from some of his other works he's always got a little bit of a touch of a twisted kind of humor in there but there's also and what made some of it work even when he was freaking killing in dream sequences is that he has this kind of groundedness at the times with the killing part of it the kind of really letting characters kind of have their pain kind yeah. of thing and kind of playing it out you know what i mean and uh, you can kind of see that in this and you can also even see it a little bit in some of his shots, the way he kind of pans his camera and does close ups and like things like that. Yeah. Some of those little elements I could see, I was like, yeah, I can, I can see that this is a, is a Wes Craven film. Um, so yeah, so, um, I kind of got a bit actually on his kind of intentions with this film. Yeah. Which I, I, quite... well, I mean, the plot, the plot itself, if anybody is unfamiliar with The Last House on the Left or hasn't seen it, yeah. um, is, uh, you know, young uh, Mary Collingwood goes and she plans on attending a concert. Um, and, you know, they they end up kind of crossing the path with these, you know, escape, escape criminals. Um, and then the exploitation part comes in because, you know, we, we have gang rapes of these two young women, we have torture, and we ultimately have the murders. And then, you know, we get a kind of flip on the head when uh, the, you know, the escaped gang end up going and, you know, seeking in... shelter at, at the, the young girl's family. Um, and then he, you know, the the family then take the find out and take the vengeance. That is kind of the story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know? it, it's um, it's an art like the the beginning of the film is very much this kind of like l linking it across is this kind of. It's almost a bit like the beginning of the film kind of feels a little bit more like a Mary Collin would come coming of age kind of thing. Yeah, it does lull you into that kind of false sense of security with the happy family. You know, they all seem quite, you know, a bit odd. Yeah. A bit too maybe, like, close at times. You know, there's a whole conversation about her nipples. Well, her tits was the main thing that stuck out Yeah, The use of the word tits. tits. Yeah. It was kind of like, because obviously tits is a very British word, and I was just kind of amazed at it, you know, that I heard it, and I was thinking, what the fuck? I, and I text you about five minutes into it, because we watched the same version. There are multiple versions going around, and I believe right, we yeah. watched the uncut one, maybe. Or the the as it was intended. Yeah. Um, and I text you about five minutes into it because there is that whole there's the conversation about obviously the you know 
the bra burning and not wearing bras anymore, which kind of would have been a big thing at that time. Yeah. And then there's just the mention of tits and stuff like that. And I was thinking, that's such a strange word for them to use, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, you do get this. Um, <laughs> one of the, it's straight away, I got that kind of, like, this kind of running through of, like, yes. I straight away, like, was like, this is definitely a 70s film. Yeah. You could feel it. You know, so, uh, I know that's strange to say because it was made in the 70s. But they don't always feel so, like on point in time but this one definitely i was like this is very much not just coming of age but like i am woman hear me raw kind of thing like yeah. i'm coming of age i'm going out and doing my thing i can talk about my tits i don't need my bra either all those yeah. kind of things were, were coming through the parents maybe were a little bit more stuck in time dad not so much mum definitely was very much like that's not <laughs> that's not how you know, a woman is that's yeah. not how you would be, Mum. Like at the beginning of the film, anyway, comes across more like the you know the classic archetype of like the mum, you yeah. know, the mum, the housewife, the husband, doctor, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. as like, and um, in fact, the doc. I just referred to him as Doc half the time because okay. I can't. Remember, I can't. He's the Doc, apart from and I. She was or, or it was Mister and Mrs. Collinwood because I yeah. can't actually remember actually hearing the the parents' name, which I'm sure they have got, but. Quite often throughout the film, he's just referred to as Doc. Yeah, well, I, you know... And I, she's referred to as Mrs. Collinwood, so... I forgot a lot of the names, and I confused a lot of them. <laughs> Weirdly, names, this but... time, I remembered more than I uh, than I actually normally would. Normally, I'm rubbish with remembering <laughs> their names. Um, but yeah, so so Mary, and then there's also the mention of her friend, Phyllis, and she yeah. is much more kind of the other side of the tracks. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they're the posh... The slightly posher family, and she's the other side of the tracks. Well, they away. mentioned she's from like a because she's from a bad neighborhood in New York, um, and from you know from a lot of so from some people who I've spoke to, um, apparently New York was a bit of a shithole in the seventies, from what I've yeah. heard and from what I've read <laughs> and stuff. Um, and you can you can kind of see that when they do when when she goes into New York because, like Seb said, we have this. Um, bit where you're lulled into a false sense of security you know we have all this kind of happy music um and the soundtrack's very strange anyway um but we have all of this, these kind of shots of them out in the in the countryside and these free free flowing rivers and these kind of big panning shots of countryside that they're walking through <clears throat> and then you know they get a bottle of gin or spirits or whatever yeah. it is and yeah you, drinking you know, it on the cliff side and you, talking about you doing it with boys and yeah stuff like that. the band that they're going to see what's it like to do with what I can't, it's like bloodlust blood, the bloodlust yeah yeah and um and then and then there's a comment that suddenly made me see the open the opening of the scene is mary in the shower yeah so the opening is her like showering at the beginning of the film, yeah, um, I, you you were looking at me and so I was like, "Do we see a different cut?" No, but it's it's her having a shower, and you get some kind of nudity. But then you get her; she says a comment like she says a comment like that her breasts have finally like finally filled out, finally filled this out this summer, yeah. which suddenly made me question her age and like, <laughs> okay, now that beginning seems a little bit more sexually exploitative <laughs> of a young girl then weirdly it would have like i'm like this is a horror this this is a kind of, kind of a horror film thriller horror thriller, that kind of thing and it's in my head i was like yep yeah, i'd expect to see boobs and stuff like that it yeah. happens in most of them but i was suddenly like oh yeah okay so how the fuck old is she yeah <laughs> like what girl did we just see at the beginning of the film in the shower kind of thing how old is she um 
well, they'll be fine now. It's her seventeenth birthday, don't they? Yeah, um, which still feels a bit weird. Still feels a bit like in America, kind of sixteen's kind of a you know, like even up to eighteen is still kind of a well, frown. well, yeah. I mean, the the age of consent's different, but Wes Craven's pushing boundaries. Basically, yeah, he's definitely pushing. Boundaries, he's pushing that boundary, um, and he want. I think maybe he wants us to know that kind of that there's a slight na- naivety about them. Yeah, I think, and it I guess definitely plays into the film. Uh, this kind of like they're not kind of quite as sure or kind of aware. They're kind of a bit too maybe free and to take in experiences and not quite always think about what those experiences, where it might lead them. I think is kind of there in this kind of context of this film. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, I guess he does definitely does play with that. Um, the act, the the main villains themselves. Um, I, so there's there was one guy called the main kind of guy is called Krug Stillo. Um, and he's yeah. played by David Hess, who was a, um, a musician and an actor. Um, and David Hess actually did a lot of the music for the uh, yeah. thing as well. And I kept, I was, when listening to the soundtrack, I was trying to listen because there's times where it's almost like he's singing about what's going on on screen. Yes, he, he, he definitely is. At the end of the film, he mentions the name Marie and Ferris in the song that he's singing at the end of the film. Yeah, so, so it, it's like he just basically like explaining the plot of the film but uh, in song, song, form. <laughs> in song form. um this is this is so you mentioned a minute ago about the very strange kind of songs but also the very strange i think there's a the tone at the beginning of this film is really confusing it threw yeah. me off so much at the beginning of this film i would say that although at times it kind of works and i think i can see where they're going with the score of this film i would not say that this is a very well soundtrack or the score some people might what the fuck this is like amazing to me it just completely took me out of the film it was very weird that's what i mean there's so um like one thing i noticed is like um so as we mentioned about like the villains we've got the weasel (laughs) yeah weasel boy so weasel boy who was a he was actually a porn star wasn't he he was, yeah, I, was like, well, I, I, I only heard that like a minute ago. I was like, yeah, porn star. I can see it now. <laughs> yeah, you can He's see slimy it. Slimy as fuck. Slimy as fuck. Like, um, this is 70s porn star. 70s. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I'm surprised he doesn't have a handlebar mustache kind of Definitely, porn star. Yeah. But that would be the good ones. And I think he's more the we- like, he probably is like the weasel in the porn, <laughs> like porn. He's like the, he's like the boy that hands the, holds the pizza and then yeah. whacks off in the corner. So. <laughs> yeah. No, let's not get into <laughs> whacking no, no, let's, oh, no more The American werewolf did this to us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, but then the main thing is, so the main uh, guy, Krug Stiller, I thought the whole f- film, I thought... I heard the name Krug and I was like, nah, it's not be called Krug, he's called Kurt. So I re- I just called him Kurt from the whole film. I kept, I kept calling him Crew because I thought it sounded like cr- like the Krug, but they weren't pronouncing the G. So yeah. it sounded like Crew, Crew that they could call him, but then it says Krug. So I'm going to go with the way it's Amazing. written, which is Krug. But um, it's a really strange and I don't, it doesn't always sound very clear no, in the film, but he's a real, real piece of shit. He's a shit man. <laughs> um, and then we've got his heroin addicted son, Junior. Um, yeah, it was a, he, he's an interesting character because you kind of half feel for him, but yeah. at the same time, you kind of he's don't. kind of a major part of what causes these events to happen. Yeah, but he's also just like yeah, he, he's a he's a proper addict. Not played too poorly, actually, in some ways. Like yeah, for yeah. the time, like it's not like you can see that he's definitely like throughout the entire film is like Jones, <laughs> Jones, you yeah, know, Jones. you know, yeah. um, and you've got Sadie. As well, who is the female? She was fast, man. Yeah, she was she pretty. Was she was pretty like that. They're all they're all actually quite well played. And I mean, to be fair, anyone in this film, any actors in this film, I mean, fair play because 
the, you know, there's a lot to the story that could make anyone feel uncomfortable performing some of this stuff. Like, I can't imagine that David Hess, as a musician, that this is something that really would help your career as a musician. No, but then this role in this yeah, film. But then, interestingly enough, um, uh, you know, there is this whole thing about how um, how Mary's act, how Mary was treated, um, who is played by you know Sandra Peabody. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, but apparently um, David Hess and the guy who played Junior. Um, Mark Sheffer, um, apparently they were proper method actors. Mm. So there was, I mean, apparently Wes Craven had to console Sandra Peabody a lot. And there were, there was, there's a period where I think kind of a, around the rape of Mary, Mary happens. Um, and um, Schaefer said to him, you know, said to her, you know, if, if you don't act, I'm actually going to throw you off the cliff right here. Um, and there's all sorts of kind of kind of madness that um, you know. I mean, Craven himself even said that there wasn't much acting being done, kind of during the shooting of some of the more violent scenes. Um, they went a bit far. They went believe, very far. Yeah, I believe uh, Craven. I was going to say Waven. I was Waven, like Waven, the Waven man, the Waven man. Yeah, <laughs> combining his name, um, Craven and um, Callaghan were pretty much. He kind of felt like. That, like though she understood the point, so she kind of went with it. I do remember reading that they kind of were like her, kind of had to be protectors. Which in a way you're like, well, you're the director and the producer, so really, yeah, you should be the you one should. protecting your cast. But yeah, uh, they went a little bit hard with it. I think she was pretty much scared to do anything on set. Yeah, they would kind of. I think Hess would walk around with a knife and stay in character like all night long. With like things He'd like come that. after them at night. Apparently. Yeah, <laughs> try to break them out, and break into their rooms and stuff. And and it's weird because I mean, this just as a side point, you know, you get you get these fabulous, fabulous. <laughs> I haven't used that word for a long time. Fabulous, fabulous. You get these <laughs> fabulous actors, you know, who are method actors, such as um, you know Daniel Day Lewis is probably the most famous one isn't he of people who are method actors yeah um who won't stop <laughs> who won't stop but then you get these kind of people and and yeah you, I, I see the the side of you know method acting and trying to produce the best you can but when it when you kind of involve other people in it like you're you know you're terrorizing somebody who you're supposed to be working with and having a level of respect for it's kind of don't wouldn't you just like if I was a director and I saw yeah. him doing that, wouldn't you just slap him and say, just stop fucking doing that and yeah. be a decent person? I mean, you heard it with. I think it depends. Uh, I guess sometimes it depends on like like, and also it's it's who are you playing? You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're if you're playing, um, I, I one I always know, and I don't know if, if you've ever seen the film, but it's Jim Carrey in uh, Man on the Moon. Yeah, as Andy uh, Andy Kaufman. And he went full on. There's a whole documentary about how he, yeah, he his... played Kaufman. Most people say he was more Kaufman than Kaufman ever was. Like he was even worse than Kaufman, the way that he would fuck about kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and But the, at the same time, it's also not someone who's really a violent character or anything like that. You know what I mean? So he was a complete dick and people absolutely hated him. Okay, fine. But he put in a very good performance. Uh, and it's kind of that kind of thing. But if you're playing someone who's a killer... And a, and a rapist. rapist. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want them to suddenly be too method. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? I don't think I could understand why she, as a young actress and young girl, would suddenly feel like, oh my God, this guy's changed to me at night 
and he's standing outside of my trailer or things like that or yeah. wherever they go like wherever they would probably didn't have a trailer it's a low budget but you know wherever she had to stay she's a he was standing outside. Well, yeah, you're playing a murderer and a rapist. Yeah, I definitely feel unsafe you standing outside my window at night. Yeah, don't methodize. <laughs> Please. Don't methodize is fake. You know, don't methodize when you're trying to play a murderer. Yeah, or <laughs> you know, a sadistic or... person. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? There's a there's a bit of a, a line there. Yeah. Um I mean because I'm I'm trying to think, you know, we could I don't we don't have go through this film kind of completely bit by bit. No, um, there are, there, there are just certain, certain fits. So, um, so just like meeting. So when we get, get to kind of the girls, it's not a very long film anyway. So no, when we get to meeting minutes. the film, um, when we get to the, the girls and they go looking for some, some green, some grass, some, some grass, yeah, yeah. Some of that ganja, some of that uh, ganja. <laughs> they, uh, they encounter junior outside and he's looking a bit da- like a bit, off ill kind of yeah. thing he's jonesing isn't he he's jonesing he needs a bit of that he's clucking yeah um and like he kind of dismisses them but then remembers what his his weasel said his, uh, his weasel what weasel mentioned about getting some more girls in there because obviously sadie's the only girl in there and it feels like sadie basically gets passed around between most of them like kind yeah of thing. like that's the it kind of thing because we get a, a scene with junior in, <laughs> in the bathroom where it, i thought she was pregnant also i couldn't really get it but she sounded like she was like talking about like a baby or something like that. So I was like really like thrown out. I was like, okay. So it's Junior the one with it, but then obviously dad get the dad his dad has a piece. Krug <laughs> gets with gets with it. And Weasel and he... Weasel comes very close. Like when Krug's basically trying to get in her. <laughs> yeah. We Weasel comes like I'm sure he did in all of his pornos. Yeah. Comes slivering down the side. Trying to get an extra like He's like he's like uh, he's like Frank on with the Dennis system. Yeah, he is. Saying. He's there for the scraps. Yeah, he's trying to get the scraps. I did love that scene where they're where they're driving when, you know, when they've abducted the girls and they're driving, and then Kurt is just piping and oh, yeah. and she's and, he, and Weasel's trying to speak to him, and he says like, "Oh, you put me off my rhythm." <laughs> that, yeah, that piping in the middle of a, that is that is one of those scenes that just complete again. That was just one that completely threw me off because. And and this links this this is what I was going to say with the um, the apartment and the thing and on this card on that on that that shagging car drive yeah was the the music again it's like we cut between the scenes where they're in the apartment and the scenes with the parents of the house where they're preparing the party yeah. the the music in the apartment with the parents sounds like something out of some old family sitcom it sounds really like cheesy campy yeah. music and then inside the apartment it was a lot more like quiet with occasional beats. So at first I was like, okay, okay. I think I'm getting this now. I'm getting this yeah. music now. I think what they're going for is anything involving the family is much more kind of, um, you know, a much more upbeat to kind of give you that false sense of security yeah. and anything with them. That was what I thought until we got to that scene and suddenly in the background, I think we may have had a David Hess song, which I don't know. It might have been a David Hess song. I didn't listen to the lyrics that well, but it was upbeat, folksy. It might have been David Hess singing about piping in the car. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. As I pipe down the road on that <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. But I could work out what it was. But again, it suddenly hits that really campy music. And I, I don't know, it just, it, it plays it in scenes that even aren't, you know, that one's a, almost comes across as comical yeah. like weird because he's piping her and they're all like sat in the car and the girls are in the boot yeah but even, but even that as itself is kind of one of the one of the issues where 
that would it, that would have been a scene that they would have asked them to cut, you know, um, mm. because like I said, they they so just to to skip back a little bit when the kind of go when Mary and Phyllis do Mary 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 is Mary. Mary sorry, Mary. I, I was going to Mary when Mary and Phyllis go into the room and you know and things do take a turn. Um, so Phyllis gets gang raped. Um, but yeah. it's but it's off screen. Yeah. But even the, but but it's it's the implication, and even watching it feels uncomfortable. Yeah. And you can, and that's one of the things is where even though they didn't show it, you can tell that the implication would have been the implications clearly there. It's not like you you know you can miss it, but the implication of that happening as a story point would have been a big you know cause for the censorship. You can oh, yeah, tell. Definitely. It, it it's so that it's really it's not an easy ever they're all standing around as they start to like take Phyllis's top off and things like that. Yeah. But I mean I guess because I knew it was about Phyllis like I, I was I was almost surprised that it does kind of you don't see it. You more yeah. you see uh Mary's reaction to yeah. it. Um it's hard to know whether anything happens to Mary as well while she's in because you know, she's there and then the next morning they're putting him in the car. So yeah. it's hard to imagine that nothing happened to Mary as well in that apartment. Yeah. Um, although signs later on kind of give me the idea that possibly no, that she's yeah, kind of just there I, standing I get... watching because of her reaction later on. Yeah, that's my um, but But at the same time, it's it's hard in your mind not to be like, well, if they did that to her, it feels like then they would have just they gone would. over to Mary. You know, that would have been the the case. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of... What I mean is we've got these really strange like juxtaposition between between this kind of almost lightish music and kind of light family scenes and then these darker scenes, which in some ways could you know could could work because it is showing the differences between one life and this yeah. life now. And well, the reality of what's actually happening. Yeah, it, it's almost like you know, it's like expectation for a birthday versus reality. Yeah, <laughs> not to, <laughs> in, in a very horrible case. In a dark, in a very kind of dark way. way. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it is that kind of that strange mix between them. And you know, as I said, Felicity is it's hard because you hear the noises a little bit. Um, it doesn't take too long to cut off. Um, but that scene is very like you've got Junior's reaction and you've got Mary's reaction and yeah. just she doesn't quite know what to do. She's just kind of in shock. And then we've got them bundled into the back of a car. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, with, it, I mean, there was so we have this. We have the police characters, which yeah. I don't remember being in the um, in the remake at all, to be honest. But we have these no. kind of bumbling police officers, don't we? Which I think. Where's Craven? Kind of, I don't know if it was some because I I was kind of thinking that yeah you you know you get Officer Dewey, um and you know in, in screen this four, kind of lighter hearted but this, you yeah know, you get these kind of lighter hearted relief basically comic relief and they are characters. played like that a bit they are um it, it they just feel really weird um they feel out they feel out of place they definitely match the Dewey mold of like a cop that's not or at least in the first one anyway, if, if we're talking Scream kind of thing, in the first one when he's a cop that's not really a good cop. No, because that's what I was thinking. They're kind, of, they're kind of crap, aren't they? They I don't think... inspect things when they drive past the car that's in the middle of the forest because they're too bothered thinking they're looking after him. But then the first, they like 
we need to search for Mary. So they don't go and check a car on the side of the road, but then the next one they do is go back to the police station and sit around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that was weird for me, actually, with the cops is um, the not uh, not the not the sheriff, but his his partner. Yeah. Um, he looks really familiar. He's um, he's the bad guy in Karate Kid. That's who. He is. He yes. is sensei. Swipe the leg. Oh, you know, he um, is. I, I watched Cobra Kai not that long ago as well, so I should know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, Co- right that's now. It. Um, I, um, I can't. I'm trying to remember what is Martin name. Cove. Yeah, Martin. I Cove, thought I yeah. recognised him. Yeah, so he's actually one of yeah one of the more <laughs> known kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he like that that kind of I was like. I know you. And there's a straight away, yeah. I was like, crikey, I know who you are. <laughs> so that kind of, but they are pretty much like, um, like the comic relief. And um, to, this is kind of a good thing because we're talking about like Wes Craven's like meaning behind it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I've got kind of a bit on, that I found on what he kind of thought about the kind of process of the film and things like that and how this film kind of changed a little bit. So these kind of characters and stuff weren't in the original okay. version that he wrote. Um, so, um, you know, on the, like the whole video nasty things and stuff like that, as we've talked, like the, the violence and stuff like that, you can see why this kind of, why it would have made a, like the list definitely, yeah, definitely. And that kind of thing. And like, um, uh, you know, not used to that kind of content. I mean, as we've already mentioned, like there are some scenes in this, like that scene that make, made me wince a little bit at times, yeah. like kind of had a little bit of a, oh, and there were plenty of people who would still be disgusted by this film oh yeah i mean um, if i showed it to my parents they would be they would be disgusted yeah that's what i mean um it kind of and this is craven but this is craven as like having like it, it as we said with a debut it kind of showed his horrific and graphic and kind of dark sense of humor that we we know that he sees throughout his career but he definitely the cops and the things like that definitely are much more peppered into his career he definitely always went for a bit of a, a humor a lot of people would also say freddie but he wasn't really he was charismatic but he wasn't really the humorous no like, he wasn't, wasn't the a pun, bumbling the thing that he became yeah kind of thing um but um although like this is kind of like often like seen as like a cult kind of film and things like that um it's not i mean and all of its status and thing it's not actually always it's got interesting themes and things like that but actually by critics and audiences this is not actually or actually a highly rated film Strange enough, it's, I mean, it's it, very middling. It doesn't surprise me to be honest. Like because of a tonal kind of thing here, and yeah. some people say it's based on that tone, and that's because it kind of went away. So it's because um, the fact that in the original script by Craven, uh, it was much more of a he he wrote it as much more of a what he called a hardcore film. Okay, so a hardcore film which was much more about so the realities of you know, the realities of what kind of would happen in the situation. And this was also linked to the things like the Vietnam War. Yeah. So it was a reality that he felt needed to be shared. He he kind of didn't like the fact that um, the films would often like kind of um, soften and kind of glamorize deaths. And he felt in the post-Vietnam kind of era or like mid-Vietnam era, he felt that, you know, it shouldn't be glamorized. It should be much more kind of rough, hardcore, real. Yeah. And that was his, that was kind of his original tension intentions for the film. Now the original script for the film has actually never been released. It is somewhere. Someone has it in storage, but it's never actually been publicly released. Um, But they started when they started filming 
they started to think that people would put this in the very much like a snuff film yeah or a smut film and no one would be able to see the art in it if they went too too hardcore too yeah. gratuitous too grindhouse kind of way um so they decided to soften the edges and they added in things like the cops and they added in things like yeah. they decided to have a, a bit of a lighter tone and things like that. And that's also when David Hess came in with his, I could give you a lighter kind of score and more like folksy music that matches the music of our time kind of thing. Yeah. And all of these things came in, which in a way is the things that make me kind of tone for at least the first half of this film made me think, I don't know if I like this film because yeah. I don't know tonally if this is just all over the place. Like no. It doesn't feel like it works. And, I mean, interestingly enough, um, so, you know, uh, Wes Craven apparently did did do some pornographic film directing uh, before he moved into this. I think quite a few horror directors did. Too. Yeah, not surprised. <laughs> I mean, John Carpenter's got that big old moustache, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, that wouldn't surprise me if he, he was in a few. Um, he's probably got a big old pipe on him as well. I mean, John Landis made one for <laughs> yeah. an American yeah. Werewolf in London. So, Maybe. you know, they, they all like a bit of their porn. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this film actually did, because it was it was a big success, but because of... You know, because of the, the 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 kickback to it, because of not just the con, you know, the the tonal shifts, but because of the content of the film, he actually wanted to leave horror, um, and he described it as being a negative experience. And we know that, luck, you know, luckily for us, he he then did the he went on to do the Hills Have Eyes, um, and then you know did become kind of the horror icon that he is. Um, but yeah, I think you know this film does have a have a kind of an interesting legacy, and you can you can see the formations of Wes Craven, and you can see where he's cutting his teeth with this film because yeah. he he manages a lot more of the comedies in future successful films. But in this this film does have some kind of strange tonal shifts, really. Um, and I don't know if that if that's just for me because. I'm not really experienced with many films kind of from around this period. I will be honest. I've, you know, I've, I've watched a few and I've watched some, I've watched some of the big hitters. Um, but for the most part, I don't really watch particularly many films from the early seventies. Um, so maybe that's just me going into it and finding that these are some, some inconsistencies and it's just some stuff. Maybe that's just me, you know? No. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I'm the same. There's definitely, it's in, there's an era here with our video nasties for us to delve into uh, this kind of era a little yeah. bit more kind of thing, because it's that era where we'll mainly be covering when we do this feature. Um, and it definitely is hot. Like it, it's easy to see where with Wes Craven, where like video nasty status came from here. But it, it's also kind of it, it. It's hard to get your head around it at, at times. I think. I do think that this eases off as we get towards the woods and on from there. Yeah. The music is the only thing that I think still occasionally causes a tonal problem because the music does not match what is going on, kind of thing. It doesn't quite feel necessary at times. Some of the music is still that is one of the things. But the film, once we get to the woods, kind of takes it. Kind of feels more serious yeah definitely and it continues to kind of feel serious even when we get to a you know a violent home alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah because that's what i was thinking as i kind of went towards it uh, uh, i was yeah, yeah one of the traps i was literally in my head like is that home alone <laughs> <laughs> i mean just to briefly cut in 
quickly. Um, so I was looking at, you know, Fred Lincoln, who plays Weasel. Um, I was looking at his um, IMDb. Um, and he, his first film, uh, par, you know, uh, pornography acting role was in Pay the Babysitter. <laughs> Unknown role. Uh, but then he followed that up with 1971's Sex USA. And his first role is first guy having sex. <laughs> um, anyway, on to back, back to the woods. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, for the most part, when we get to the woods, the film does, it, it starts to push the boundaries further. And you can see that if it had have been for the, you know, the, the 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 gang rape of Phyllis and and the implication of it, um, this the the scene in the woods would have definitely video nasty, there, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get back into Hesbit. You you just you just side linked <laughs> to telling us porno names, and, and now then... I'm trying to sound like into like violent. <laughs> <laughs> and also, all I can think in my head is that Weasel looks like in his like mid forties. <laughs> he does and yet those films were only like a year or two before so it's like first guy having sex or like the you know he's he's like an old dude who is the i guess back then a lot of them were older dudes not younger dudes yeah. but still. this was a stressful role <laughs> this was a stressful role he needed to go but i'm sure after it he maybe went back there was one after it called teenage nurses so he probably went back to more after <laughs> it was like too it. bad <laughs> um right okay yeah so i'll, I'll silent for a second and just say about the weird uh, uh, one thing that I found found weird was the fact that they go so close to their, you know, that one was a bit of a coincidental. In my, I felt it felt so weird that they they took the girls into the car, they drove them, and then they happened. Did the car down. actually break down? Yeah, the or car. Did they just get out the car. No, could, the car could, broke down. Okay, the car broke down. It just so happens to break down literally right next to the well, the last house on the left, or the Mary's actually family's house because yes. it's literally next to the mailbox that you see it. Um, it, it was just weird that they bundled them to the car and then they were going to drive them off somewhere, whether that was meant to be the woods so that they could dispose of the bodies or that and, kind of thing. Yeah. Or, it, that bit's left a little bit unclear, but I was definitely there, like, uh, I don't know if I had... I know in the remake, it pretty much is just... They they find them in... Like, they're on the run, aren't they? Yeah. And it's in the forest that it all kind of takes place anyway, because they kind of find them in the forest as they're going through, and then it kind of escalates, and that's when, like, the rape and things like that kind of happen. Well, they, in they the find remake. them in the hotel in the remake. It's, it happens the same, you know. He goes back to smoke weed with... They go to smoke weed with the equivalent of junior in that film oh, and then they? they come in yeah oh i thought i thought it was all pretty much that in the woods and then they go back to the house i didn't no no didn't it's, all, it's yeah it's, oh. it's quite similar to be honest oh it's quite yeah so it's quite straight it just felt like an inconsistency it felt like it was more like if they'd been on the run and like they were in the woods and like i thought it would have made more less yeah, coincidental but... <laughs> to have just been yeah in they... the woods i thought that was something the, the remake kind of removed that coincidental part of it but i guess not yeah. <laughs> um so um this is pretty much the, the the main scene that i would say we is is one of the pretty much one of the, the the hardest to watch in the film yeah which is the one when um krug or crew or Kurt or whatever we're calling him, um when he is and this is when i get serious charlie manson vibes from him yeah. I start to get a proper that he is in control of everyone. And there's a scene later on with Junior, which proper brings home that kind of cult, I tell you what to do and you'll do it kind yeah. of thing. Um, 
but this is the one when he basically they're all standing around. He tells Weasel to get his knife, which is really weird to me because Weasel's always pretty much got his knife out. Yeah, <laughs> like in every scene before that, I swear Weasel's got his knife, basically. and then the one time it's like Weasel, get out your knife. It's like I just put my knife away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Weasel and the knife. Yeah, we're trying to make a little bit light of what is a hard thing to is. watch. It is a hard thing to watch. Um, yeah, I think you, you needed a little bit of lightness in your brain because it's a hard when. So he he has Phyllis, and Phyllis at this point has been the one that we feel has taken the brunt of everything. Yeah, um, and he continues. They continue to single out Phyllis. I don't know why it is because maybe it's because she's the one that talked up more in the house. Essentially, she, yeah. She she comes across more as the mature and stronger of the two, and I yeah. think I think Krug very much kind of leans into that that he wants to kind of break her. Yeah. Whereas I think straight away they can see Marie is broken. Yeah. Like she's already broken. They don't need to break her. She's done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and Phyllis is then told to wet herself. Yeah. And it's a real like kind of you're just there like, like him just lording his power kind of thing. Yeah. There's nothing that they can kind of do. She calls him like a dis- disgusting pig or something like that. Like, That's earlier, but yeah. Yeah. And that but, kind of, yeah. But, but the, that kind of the 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 joking between the uh, between the gang is kind of gone a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, and it's very much Krug or whatever being in control, and so he makes you know he makes Phyllis piss herself, and and the actress actually did, uh, yeah, in real life. So it's not you know that's an actual yeah. thing. Well, because I, I read that 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 she she's the actress herself says that she did, yeah, and then the like one of the people that were on the thing actually said that it was a a wet sponge that was in her trousers yeah so there seems to be like several accounts of different people but i tend to go that the actress, the actress is the one that did it yeah. she said to get into that psychological mind frame didn't she to yeah. kind of like really feel it she felt like she needed to do that yeah um and then you know he forces them to mary and phyllis to to strip and to perform sex acts on each other and it, it it's really hard and it's just really uncomfortable for you yeah um, this is why. This is why we. I'm assuming as well why you didn't get the feeling like Marie anything actually happened sexually to Marie in the house before, because her reaction here yeah. is very like finally like her clothes are being taken off and suddenly she has this big like reaction like um, like it doesn't seem like she's now like whereas Phyllis seems much more like just numb this, yeah to it. numb and this is what we this is kind of what we have to do to survive almost yeah you know? and it, yeah and it's just quite uncomfortable dealing you know it's quite uncomfortable. Um, yeah we don't we don't see any of that kind of sexual part of it but we see them on top of each other and we see like little shot things i believe there is an uncut version which actually goes on longer yeah there is a cut version which i can't say i'd be interested in seeing definitely like it's not so that like you need to really watch more of it's it's there's more there was more already than i was expecting to see uh, a film of this age um and it's yeah it it's just it's not easy to watch junior is in the background just looking like horrified the kind of thing yeah. in fact junior is the one that actually gets them out of some because originally it was that phyllis and marie she wanted phyllis to beat marie yeah. she was gonna punch her like punch her in the stomach until she's like basically like sick kind of thing yeah and junior is the one that kind of comes over to try and stop it and then he knows that he's not going to stop so he tries to divert them to something less violent yeah with the sexual thing which you know yeah he's he's trying but he's also the one that got them into this so we don't feel i don't really feel sorry for junior but at times he comes across sympathetic 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 yeah he's a 
he's an interesting character, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we see that part play out, and then we have this pretty much leads towards the part where Phyllis is saying to Marie that she's going to run off. Yeah, then you Marie know, run as well, and then yeah. Marie run as well, which doesn't go to plan. No. Um, and this, although that last part was hard to watch, this probably for me was actually the hardest one to oh, watch, definitely. even though it involved a death, which you'd think wouldn't if you're between seeing scenes of like rape or death. Weirdly, this death is this is probably one of the worst deaths I've seen in a film, to be honest. It just plays so horribly. Yeah, that's the thing, it plays horribly, it's you know. Slow, it's and slow and you feel it and you yeah. feel for her completely. Um, so Phyllis does a good job of kind of managing just to get away for a while. She even she she diverts them. She hides behind a rock for a little yeah. while. Um, and while this is simultaneously going on, we also have Marie who's starting to try and bargain with Junior yeah. to let her go. She gives her a necklace, the piece necklace, the piece the, necklace. That, that she got earlier. Um, she talks about like that they can help her, and she also talks about her dad being a doctor and could get him methadone to try and play into his yeah drug. You know that he's a drug addict, and you can tell he's kind of now like a bit. This is the, it's the only thing of like it, it's the thing between I understand it because it's it's the fear, it's the deep fear that she now has of the yeah. control. But Junior's also not the one, and, and there is a part of you in your head I think that's going like. He's like clearly kind of zoning out half the time you're talking. Yeah. Like, just run. <laughs> yeah. Just run. But she doesn't. She just keeps trying to to bargain. I think she's so terrified of the consequences of if she does run. does run and gets caught that she just doesn't actually bring herself to do it. And it but you're just there, like, like I don't even if you went against Junior, I actually think you'd win. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like Junior's like does not look strong or no. in any way capable of probably stopping you if you just Grab so and can smack him over the head, or he's just, he's got like a stick or something. He hasn't yeah, got anything got violent. He's got like a like a thick stick. That's all he's got to just batter on the head if she did it. But I don't. I think he'd miss. He's that. Yeah. He's that woozy at points when she's talking. Um, so we've got that part with her where you're a bit like frustrated that she's not. And then we also then we cut back to Phyllis, and she sees the road. Yeah, and she's running towards the road. And she um, goes to a cemetery, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, and, she does. Oh, sorry, before that, she also beats Sadie over the head. Yeah, she does. She beats Sadie and Weasel kind of screams like, Sadie! And he, like, stops to kind of get her. And, like, you know, you think maybe Sadie's had something more, worse done to her because you kind of don't see she's on the ground for a second. And she did get, like, a, a rock to the head kind yeah. of thing. But it turns out it was just a bit of a smack. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's all right. She's got a bit of blood on the side of her head. Um, and, yeah, so, so to get to her death is when she gets cornered by... All three except Junior. They're yeah. all surrounding her. Craig's got like a machete. Yeah, Cog's got a machete. Um, and Weasel's still got his little knife. He's got a little flick knife. I don't know he? what Sadie's got, but Sadie's kind of, uh, to begin with, is a, in a bit of the, the, the stood back, but then yeah. very much joins. Um, she manages to kind of divert past them as he, I think Krug kind of takes a swipe with his machete. I don't can't remember if he actually catches her or not, but she then seems a bit slower after well, that. She, so. Yeah, I'm sure it's. Um... I'm sure Weasel wounds her, maybe, and because oh no, yeah. yeah, he does. He stabs her in the back. Weasel yeah. stabs her in the back, and then when... she doesn't see Weasel. Yeah. She doesn't see the Weasel coming. He does, and then obviously when because then that's the worst thing is then they start to track her and they see her kind of against a tree, don't they? Like she can't run anymore. Yeah. And Weasel says, "Like I told you, she wouldn't have got very far." And that line really stuck out for me. Like you said, the whole. The whole thing just feels uncomfortable. And yeah. we've watched, you know, many gory films. We've watched 
films that have much worse death than this but it's something about the slowness and it's something almost because it is almost quite grounded yeah they've been through that it uh, that it does feel just dirtier in a way i think also because this is such a low production and the camera is not you know it's not it's not as high quality even if that time still could have done um it all that grittiness that kind of guerrilla style that they've kind of filmed it in with yeah. the hand shots it suddenly feels almost like and i think wes craven wanted it to be kind of a bit documentary style he wanted yeah. you to feel that this was like it was like watching a recreation of a real murderer and this is what you feel like it's like when you hear the the murder stories of real victims of like the Yorkshire Ripoff, and they describe what it was like yeah what death would have been like this is kind of what it feels like and it's also because as we said slow and so like weasel goes up and it's made most a lot of it is with his his little knife yeah and it's just stabbing and stabbing and like literally going into it and sadie takes over at one point and takes yeah. the knife and they're all kind of really seem to be enjoying it and it just they all feel so sadistic and they're like smiling and laughing and they're getting covered in blood but you're seeing phyllis literally take each painful yeah. blow and there's something about it being a knife and not even a big knife that they're slowly like cutting her up and just stabbing and just jabbing at her. And a bit of the machete comes in and whacks at her arm and that kind of thing. And it just, Oh, I don't know. It's grim, isn't it? It is not a nice, it's not a nice feeling. I like, as I said before, this scene alone, I understand why someone would ban it. I (laughs) I, I wouldn't even see like, I don't think we even see scenes like this play out in modern day. You know what I mean? Modern day horror that often. Like we see horrible, gruesome deaths, but we don't see them, you know, like if they if someone nowadays covers the subject of something like rape, yeah. They don't then go deep into their death. No, no. We don't get much like that, but we both get a rape and we get a very slow, painful, horrible death. Well, I mean, Wes Wes Craven did a lot of that. You know, if you if you're looking at Casey's death in Scream. Yeah, yeah again, it's another one. I was um, worried about it. I was like, what do you mean? Like, Wes Craven did a lot of that. Yeah. I suddenly went into a much <laughs> darker place of that. I'm like, what do you mean Wes Craven did stuff like that? <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. With, with, with Casey, way, like, yeah, that, he was, didn't, that is the yeah. one that sprung to my mind. He did slow. Yeah, he didn't do, you know, for the most part, he didn't do characters' deaths being extremely elaborate or anything like that. It was, I mean, with the exception of a couple of the Freddy ones, but for the most part, the deaths were kind of this slow, borderline, yeah. re- grounded. Yeah, you much more. It, you get a chance you know? to, you get a chance to take it in, which is not bad because in his other ones, I very much enjoy that style of it. I yeah. think in, in his later films, when he's got a little bit more, like he holds back in some places a little bit more. Yeah, you know, he he knows what he's doing more than that. Like especially say with the Casey death, like yes, you feel it and it's terrifying and it feels quite real, but at the same time, you know, there's not that added context that this film has. No, definitely, and that's kind of what makes it harder. Yeah. Um, and as I said, literally right like that, like if we were like doing like you know some of the you know the cruelest deaths in horror that would be on my list as yeah. a cruel death that's just horrible to just you know it it makes you feel a bit like dirty yeah like and just like oh god like to imagine being in that situation yeah you know and it's like the biggest fear to be in that real life and it because it's this way it is it it plays into that it's like we say with slasher films but yeah this is like the reason we're scared of slasher films is because 
it could be anyone. It could be. You yeah. know what I mean? It, anyone could take that kind of flip. Anyone could have that. It's not, you could cross, like in this film, you could cross paths with somebody like that. Yeah. You know, and, it, and with, you know. You know, and that naivety of them mad. just walking into the flat. Yeah. You know, not thinking of it like that because they're not thinking that it's an unsafe thing. And Mary's kind of following Phyllis at that you know, yeah. early point in the film because she thinks that Phyllis knows what she's doing. She yeah. thinks he's saying, like, it kind of feels like Mary's just kind of like along for the she's ride. She's more street smart, you, know? you know. So she's like, oh, I'll follow her. She knows what's safe. And it's just like, you're like, oh my God, like you just literally walked into a stranger. Yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? Um, so yeah. Um, well, uh, then. That, 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 uh, this was one point that I heard. So with Phyllis's death was the fact that when they get back to Marie. Yeah. Um, who was still there with. Still there, still bargaining with, you know what I mean, <laughs> with, with Junior. With junior. Um, you know, she kind of, uh, she ends up on the floor, and I can't quite remember how she ends up. I feel like someone hits her or something like that, that she's there. Um, and she's asking if Phyllis got away. Yeah. And crew looks over, like shakes his head, and he's got blood, and she can see blood over all of them. They're all yeah. covered in blood. Um, and then it that's the point when through Weasel's jacket, Sadie sticks her uh, hand. Yeah. And it's just that realize realization on her face. And it just after that scene seeing it play out, that just again just feels like imagine you you just kind of processing in your head that your friend's gone. Yeah. And then it's like the hand is there and then, it's kind of sick, twisted, like mutilated. And yeah. They've been properly mutilated in and then there's this expression on her face where she basically just kind of shuts down. Yeah. She's just completely like, what, what am I going to do now? Like, yeah. she's been murdered in that way, and what am I going to do? Yeah. And um, then we get another horrible scene. Well, then, yeah, but then, you know, because um, she then kind of, that's when Krug catches her, isn't it? And then, then he carves his name into the chest. Um, and then, you know, then the rape of mary happens um and yeah it's just a yeah again it's just a another shocking thing you know that, that this one's more shocking because we although we don't see anything but they're both of their faces we see it we see mary's face as she's yeah. being raped and it's great secret. and this and and again this is why i like again it's not something that although yes this subject is played up like you do see this in films and TV and things like that, obviously now to depict these kind of things. Yeah. And you do sometimes see it in that style. You know what I mean? It's not it's not too over the top. We're not seeing weird, horrible parts of bodies or things like that. We're just mainly seeing faces and thrusting. That but it's thing. A, yeah. But it's the fact that Marie just looks completely just like dead eyed. And it's just uncomfortable to watch, isn't yeah. it? You know? And we like, you know, if you we we have very dark sense of humours if you've listened to the show. Yeah. And like I've said, we've watched many gory films but this that rape as a uh plot point will never not make the most you know sane person feel uncomfortable yeah um have you ever seen um it, this is england not 88 maybe what is that a tv series the like? tv series no, there's TV series. there's a there's a rape scene in that which is just it's the worst i've ever seen yeah, and it's just so. And it, I mean, it it can be. Uh, I'm trying to think of how I can word it because it is. It, it's 
not a nice subject and it's not a, a you know but as a plot point it could it can be very powerful because of the the, the emotions it elicits in people and yeah. because of the uncomfortability it has with it um it's some in some cases is is it like an important subject matter you know what i mean yeah. to show and to show the, the the reality of it in this case i don't think that that necessarily feels like no. the purpose of it it doesn't feel like it's trying to show that gr- or or send a message with it and i think any any person any any normal feeling person would feel sick and uncomfortable in this state. you know what i mean definitely i mean i know there's a lot of people out there who really like this film and i think i even saw comments of people when i was looking up saying like it's such a good film i could i could watch this film like over and over again and i was like i don't know how <laughs> i could watch this film over and over again i'm not saying it's a bad film just because i don't think i could watch that every time yeah, you no. know what i mean it's not like friday the 13th or you know nightmare on elm street where it's kind of just like shut off your brain and enjoy death and horror and you know yeah. it, it's not that kind of film there's a lot more to it and it probably is like the, the the critic I talked about, Mark Mode, it probably in in some ways it probably is more important as a film than say Friday the Thirteenth of it in some ways. Like there's oh. probably more important context here, and just the way it shaped film and cinema, absolutely. But it's definitely not something I could like watch on that like repeat. And yeah, that, that this would Mary, and then the, the thing I did think was quite effective here is the fact that Mary then just walks off. Yeah, I thought that was. And there's a moment between all three of them where they just, where they just look lost suddenly. It's as if suddenly these sadistic people have almost taken their step too far. Yeah. They've murdered someone and they kind of... For some, reason with, for some reason with Phyllis, I think they enjoyed it because she fought back. Yeah. She was a bit stronger. But because Marie is pretty much like shut off from the second half of this happens yeah they enjoy it a bit more when she kind of plays up and when she screams yeah when it's her and phyllis in that you know in that in that kind of like together scene but in that scene when she's just nothing it's like he gets up and then she says there's no reaction yeah and afterwards she goes back she throws up behind yeah and she walks off but there's still no reaction from her and it's like that lack of reaction in their sadistic brains, just suddenly is like, why did we do it if it's not going to get anything from it? It's, kind of, it's like yeah. they want that reaction. And because they don't get it, it's like they suddenly have a moment where they they all stand there. And it, I think it, this part is really well shot. Yeah. And really well done is the fact. And again, this is just why it kind of annoys me that there are those tonal shifts and that not long after we get stupid music or like a the cops and like chicken van and all that kind of stupid yeah. shit. Because this kind of shows what this film could have been. And I do kind of think maybe that hardcore version in some ways might have just been not so much hardcore as it might have been a better film, hopefully, and not just yeah. overdone it kind of thing. But this bit shows that kind of restraint that we don't always get in this film. Yeah. Which is where they all kind of are there. And they're realizing it, and she starts walking off down towards the river. Yeah, and they're all still, even as they start, they start following her because it's like they know what they have to do now. Yeah, you know they can't. It's like they can't let her live. They can't let her get away. And I don't think Krug likes to let anything get away. No. <laughs> um. So he know they know what they need to do. But the other thing that shows in uh, Marie's death scene, um. Do you want to say what her death scene? <laughs> Do you well, what her death scene is? Yeah, well, she just you know, um, so the rape happens and then she vomits and then she starts saying a prayer and then 
she they just start she starts walking towards the lake and then Krug and the the, the other criminals are following her and like you said they're in complete silence um, yeah. and weasel hands Krug a gun and then Krug just shoots her and then she just kind of floats off into the river doesn't she and yeah, there's quite like a uh, like a quite a more arty shot kind of there, which yeah. uh, we did see was based on an actual piece of art, but um, like which looks quite like like interesting. But it's that fact that I think that kind of follows it up that kind of sudden reflection of what they've done. Yeah, is that... it's based on um, John Everett Millier's uh, Ophe- Ophelia. Yeah, you know, with her in the lake, which yeah, it does. You can obviously you can see the way that they've shot that and panned that. Um, but I think the bit you said about the, the when he hand, weasel hands the gun, yeah, but he has the knife and things out, but it's almost more of a like a Krug's like put that away, yeah. It's like it's almost as if we, we've done enough, yeah, it is. Isn't we've it? done enough now, and it's like instead of Phyllis's death, slow and horrible because she's reacting to it, it's let's just put her out of her misery. Yeah, that's what I picked up on. Yeah, and it, it, like, that's what suddenly made it a lot more powerful. And that scene there, and then it, it... Then we... Then it's weird, because then you're like 50 minutes into the film. It was about 50 minutes when she died. Yeah. And then there's still about half an hour of the film left, and you're kind of in this kind of like, okay, well, what, where are we going next? But, well, and the then film's we only have... 82 minutes. Um and we've actually been speaking longer than the film is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we have, and then, yeah, so we get this, then we kind of have another kind of little bit of a tonal shift, and I'm going to skip past the whole, they arrive at the house, they do, you know, yeah. they have this, we have a meal kind of thing, the parents definitely pick up on some weird vibes, they see some cuts on the head, they see that Sadie is basically down in glasses upon glasses of wine, yeah. and that Junior is just completely just out of it, completely like yeah. kind of gone. Um, and then at, they kind of let them in. They let them stay because they know that no one's going to get there in time kind of thing. Yeah. The police are taking fucking forever to get to the, back to that car because they get their car stolen. Yeah. Um, and then they go on the chicken van. And it's a plot point that, frankly, no doesn't, doesn't need. need to be there. Like, yeah. just remove that plot point because it, it adds nothing to the film except for the final shot of the film. Is the only one I felt when it the police being there added Actually anything. She added anything, yeah. Um, but... Um, we get we get a scene where Junior and he's having withdrawal symptoms and he's being yeah. sick, um, and this and this is when I'm just going to call her Mrs. Collingwood. Yeah, uh, notices a necklace on his neck. Yeah, um, it's also interested that uh, actually just before that Junior was screaming like reliving everything yeah. that kind of happened, um, and it was like a PTSD before even they were showing PTSD yeah. from what had just happened to him. You know, the reactions he's having, not just the withdrawal was part of it, but it felt like a very PTSD, like he was reliving what all of that stuff that's just happened. Yeah. Now like the screaming. Yeah. Now um, the withdrawals are kicking. Long before people were actually diagnosed with PTSD <laughs> yeah. properly kind of thing. Yeah. Back then, back then it was barely even a thing. And if it was, it would have been war. And that was only war. Could, could yeah. Only that. war would give you PTSD. Only war. Um, but yeah, so she sees the uh, necklace on Junior when he's being sick. And this leads her to go and look and sneak in and have a look at the luggage. And she yeah. sees the blood on Weasel's trousers. Yeah. Um, and she has a horrible realisation. Well, then... she overhears them, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, talking. she does. She overhears them talking, yeah. 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 And that's when her and Mr. Collingwood or Doc go down. Doc. Go down to 
the, the woods. Up. Yeah, and they find they find Mari's body's floated over, doesn't it? But she it looks like she's alive when she floats over. Yeah, so I think that that's an editing thing because um, in a in a cut version she is alive. Yeah, and she explains what's happened to her as okay. she's dying. Um, but they, they in Craven's cut he cut that part out. But ah, you okay. can kind of see that she might be alive. Yeah, at the yeah. beginning of it. Uh, I think maybe because it's more of a like she was going to like slowly like choke and die. Yeah, and I think that maybe he just kind of wanted to move it along and didn't need someone to re-explain everything kind of thing. Yeah, potentially. I feel like there's a there's a kind of she's dead. They've got blood. They've got her necklace. Um, she is definitely you know she's dead. You know, I think you can get that, yeah, and you can get the link between them without. So it, it's quite a restrained, nice move to see someone not go for exposition. Instead, they go for staring and crying over her body. Um, she's literally lifeless still. The mum is pleading if there's anything they can do, and they, there's nothing they can do. Obviously, you know, he's a doctor, and straight away he's like, mm, she's dead. She's dead. You know, there's nothing we can do. Um, at first, at first, I actually rewatched this scene because at first I thought, oh, it, they didn't seem that emotional, but. Yeah. I don't know why I missed it, but the first, then after it actually, it does actually have more grief there. And this is actually a major part of this kind of end, is that that grief kind of takes over yeah. in them. In their mind, it's like they break. They almost become slightly different people. Much different. Well, you know, they... Mrs. Collinwood especially, her, her tone suddenly changes. She's much more, she's, you know, she's acting but there's also a kind of element of like as if this grief has just completely made them like revenge is all that's on their mind. Yeah. And you you see it. It's quite well done. I, I thought, especially with Mrs. Collinwood, I felt like I could pick on a, up on a complete different in the way suddenly she she stood, she looked. She, yeah. It was like she's on a mission and there's nothing that's going to break that kind of thing. Yeah. The, you know, my, she lies perfectly. Yeah. My like only problem with <laughs> Yeah, she does. My only problem with it was that this bit seems to happen very quickly. Um, and it does. I remember, because, yeah. so I watched the remake first, and in the remake, um, uh, they appear at the house a bit earlier, and there's a bit more tension building, if I remember right. Um, yeah, a bit more of a, yeah. they come across a bit darker, but they're also staying in, like, instead of being actually in the house, they're, they're in, like, the, a, like a, a spare house. Yeah, next like to their house. Um so it's definitely, you know, there is there is those differences, but it doesn't. It just seems that once they find Marie's body, it goes very quick. You know, yeah, um, they start planning little, like we said before, Home Alone. Like, yeah, there's little like he's doing like a little electric trail from the the, the yeah. door to the under the carpet thing, and then lays out water well, and he, stuff. He goes Home Alone, and she goes Black Widow. You yeah, know? exactly. She she then seduces Weasel. Yeah. Um, oh, I got to mention the we the Weasel dream bit though, because that bit made me. Wince. Oh yes, yeah. that was good. When like I I thought it was going really quickly though. At that that point, I thought they'd just gone straight to like strapping them all down or something yeah. like that kind of thing. Because you see, Mrs. Collard and our our doc or Mr. Collard literally stood over and said about open her mouth, and I, I think it, so. So Weasel's there on the table, and there's this bit when they have so he opens his mouth and we see his teeth. And we see Ooh, yeah. they put the chisel down, and you hear that clank uh, against his teeth, and that literally made me go, "Oh god!" And then oh, fuck, you see yeah. the hammer go down, and I, I actually thought for a second we were going to see it. So did I. But it still worked. You know, it's one of those great like you feel it. 
I felt it. It's like yeah. I felt it in my teeth, and my body went, oh. Like, the teeth though, was a dick. It just, yeah, even think. though it was a dream, I was like, okay, yeah, still. And it's like this foreshadowing in Weasel's brain that he, like, mistrusts them. Um, yeah. Although, weirdly, then a second later, he's he tries to pipe. Into it. <laughs> yeah. He tries to pipe. The second that, uh, the, second that the, the mother, uh, Mrs. Collinwood, is literally, like, coming on to him as if yeah. my husband doesn't fulfill my needs and I've always got this thing about tying people up. Well, he says that I can do you with my hands tied behind Oh, yeah. Which creased me up. <laughs> yeah. um, and then she obviously she, she lures <laughs> him outside um, whilst whilst uh, Doc is in the basement trying to... Because he picks up like a, a wrench and then he finds a shotgun and he's tr- and then he starts making his home alone traps. You know, he starts putting... Yeah. He puts... Um, while we're yeah, following, like, weaseling that outside, you get this kind of side-by-side of, like, a not quite a Home Alone montage, but we get a montage where we do a different thing. Because it's know. just some weird things that he inspired. does. So. Home Alone was inspired yeah. by Last House on the Left. <laughs> he puts some, you know, he puts some, like, wiring up to the door, so if they try and get away, you know, they're going to get shocked. Great idea. And then he puts shaving foam outside of the door. Yeah. Which just made me, like, laugh a little bit, you know. There is a bit of it where we're seeing him set all of this stuff up as if he's in control. Yeah. And then there's a really weird that actually he's really like as if he's really prepared. Yeah. And then he's really not prepared at all. Yeah. Like it goes to shit in seconds. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> like, very weird. Isn't it's it? weird. So if we, if we have, um, because we hit, they hear the scream, which is what kind of sets off the like. Well, she bites the reaction. pipe off, doesn't yeah. she? So she, yeah, she's which we don't do the see, tie. but yet again, it's we the, see a head like going side to side, yeah. like ravenously like pulling his dick but, off. But it's the Im- yeah, again, it's, it's the, the implication. Image. Yeah, you know? I and, mean, I liked that. I like the I fact like that, that the weasel gets his dick like taken off. It, it it seems deserving. It does. I mean, I think the character who is weasel in the remake, which is played by um, Aaron, whatever his name, oh, is. from uh, Breaking Bad, from Breaking Bad. I actually preferred his death scene in the re- in the uh, in the remake. I thought I had a lot more tension to it. Um, he it's similar. He tries it on with her, but then he ends up getting his hand put down the garbage disposal. Oh, okay. And then his then his throat slit. I think. His... Yeah, I think I think I, I think I remember that. Yeah, that it's... plays out quite well. But I don't know. But yeah, like there's the, there's the, a, the there's certain, a bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's just more kind of I don't know. There's it, yeah, it's just. It, it, there's more poetic justice, I guess, with Weasel being a you know a pedo. Yeah, I mean, really, I guess Frog's the one that should really get his dick ripped off. He's the one that was trying to pipe everything at the yeah, beginning of the is. film. But, but um, Weasel's always sliding for scraps. Yeah, um, but then it does. But then it does happens quite quick. You know, he um, they the scream sets off, and then Krug runs outside, and then slips up, which I laughed at because it's just so weird. Yeah, um, and then John you know tries popping off it with a shotgun yeah it turns off the light so he already gets control because he has to pull the wire for the light yeah and it just goes dark and he catches krug in the shoulder but he's running we don't see what happens to sadie for a little bit she's kind yeah. of gone for it like she was in the room with him but she's gone uh for a little bit um but then this is what i mean by him being unprepared because literally by the time they get down and fight their way down into the, like the I don't know, living room lounge whatever it is fireplace area the are literally, he's just starts getting beaten the shit out of by Crow, and you're just yeah. like, how the hell did you set all of those traps up? 
but not set up so that they would just stop him easily, like, yeah. like kill him like straight away. Instead, you've opened yourself up to possibly getting yourself fucked right now. Like, yeah. And it, like, if it wasn't for Junior like stopping it, he was fucked. Like, he yeah. completely botched it. His wife had done, you know, gold star. Yeah, his wife. <laughs> he, he was uh, fucking like playing like a child. <laughs> yeah. You know, Macaulay Culkin did that. <laughs> yeah, Macaulay Culkin did. The Wet Bandits, man. They didn't. They didn't see that coming. Um. Yeah, so and then and then we get what which is another really creepily effective psychotic and this this one definitely made me think obviously we've got the chainsaw coming in, but the psych the you know, the um the psychological horror that plays a little bit here. Yeah. Um and definitely gave me all of this suddenly did start to give me a twinge of like, oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a couple of you know, with a couple, a couple of years, of years after, after yeah. this, and I was like, Oh, there's definitely some vibes there that I'm feeling kind of thing. Uh, possible inspiration, but possibly not because that is based on its own other true story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've definitely got this. Um, Junior uh, is walks in and has the gun, and he is uh, pointing it towards and telling him to stop and things like that. And it takes nothing for Crud to just literally like as if you're not going to do that. And he walks towards him, and he starts telling him, basically belittling him, making him feel how low he does. And showing how much control he has over him, that he's not actually going to do so to him, to the point where he manages to tell him to kill himself. Yeah, and obviously a part I think a part of this that like makes this more like work in a way is the fact that mentally Junior is so fucked from his withdrawal and things like that. he's so fucked in the head in a way anyway, and so zoning out and unsure of his reality in some way I think that he is very susceptible to depression. And feeling yeah. that week that he pro- that it starts to feel like you can see straight away that he feels that this is the only way kind of out kind of thing of this and that he can't actually beat him. That Krug's who's his dad, is his yeah, Krug's dad is is just always lorded over him the power and this power is not going anywhere kind of thing. And yeah, that part is weirdly some people like might have felt like oh yeah oh wouldn't actually I actually fully believe that he would he's got that much of a cult kind of. Charles Manson kind of vibe yeah. to him. I fully believe that he could have persuaded him into killing himself. Well, you see that he has. You just see throughout the whole film the You've control, the control that he has yeah. on him. You know the fact that Sadie's basically just like, "I'll just be here banging you in the car. Why not? Yeah. You know, I've got like a weedle. You know, kind of listens. You know, yeah, <laughs> doesn't listen well. But you know, and Junior's just always scared. He won't do anything once yeah. his dad's there. He's just completely terrified of him. Um, so the way that he's used that against it is just is properly like, yeah, really scary. Um, yeah. And then, um, so then he kills himself, doesn't he? Which is he kills himself, and we see that kind of play. We see his head, and after he's blown, and we see the blood on the back of the wall. And yeah, again, I think so. So for people who kind of don't know, um, obviously UK listeners will know, but US listeners and other listeners, but suicide was illegal in the UK then, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe it was only mid seventies or late eighties that uh, that suicide became legal, and it's kind of mental. Yeah, that you could you would try and kill yourself, and then if you fail, you, you would then be, pers- yeah, you that, could yeah. potentially be put in prison. It's kind of mental. Um, but yeah, so yeah, again, you've got you've got on screen suicide, which yeah. is another kind of Big. massive boundary that's yeah. being pushed. Yeah, and talking someone into suicide. Yeah, you know that is another you know. This film is a big old, you know, for some people, this would be a big old trigger. It would not be well received in a lot of ways yeah. even today. Uh, I 
you know, I'm sh- sure of that. Um, then that's when uh, Doc has uh, disappeared off and gone down to the basement, and we yeah. hear the, the chainsaw revving. And um, that's when um, Craig suddenly looks a little bit more scared for himself and yeah. tries to run away. And that's when he gets electrocuted by the door trap. Yeah, it's all. Uh, oh, and Sadie. Sadie wouldn't help him. Sadie reappears at this stage. Yeah. And she would not, she wouldn't help him. She suddenly seemed terrified. I don't know if it's because he basically just left her after the shotgun kind of went off or things like that, but she suddenly seems to have turned on him for a second. Yeah. Um, and we get this whole, we get two things play out here. So we get Krug gets kind of electrocuted and hits the ground kind of thing. Sadie runs off as we see um, Mrs. Conwood. Conwood arrive and they kind of tackle each other in the garden. Yeah. And Sadie gets away, uh, manages to fight her off. She gets away. We see that the police are starting to arrive. Sadie gets away, but then she runs straight into the swim pool. Yeah. And <laughs> comes out of there. And then as she emerges. Now, this part of the film, this I really actually thought, time-wise, actually, I really liked the way that this played out in kind of sync. Yeah, I like Because it, it was almost, to me, and this is where I feel like, one nice thing about this film is that certain themes and certain character development seems to like burn, like really come through. And yeah. you can see that there was a deeper intention there. And I think the grief of the parents is another one of those that really kind of comes through here is that this grief has driven them to horrible acts. Yeah, definitely. You know, insane acts that they wouldn't even think of. So we have Doc literally cornering Krug and just going towards him with the chainsaw. Yeah. And at the same moment, we have where Mrs. Collinwood doesn't even think for a second. She has the little knife, Weasel's knife. Weasel's knife. You know, and literally we kind of get a a same play-by-play as the police arrive and see what Doc is about to do. And they're like, yeah. you know, screaming at him to stop. Yeah. You know, don't do that. And they're horrified that suddenly they look around and stuff and like, what the fuck is happening? Like, here? it's just a bloodbath. And it? these two comical characters suddenly become like the only sane people in the room and like, like stop. And you can just see it on his face. That yeah. There's no chance I'm not stopping. Like he is just so deep in his grief and anger and everything that he is, Boom, straight in, chainsaw into him, splattering against the wall. Yeah. At the same moment, we also then get the point when, like, it's like the point of no return now because yeah. they kill them. They murder them. So they've created, they've created, and it's like the, co- the, the cops see it in their face that they're like, well, this is an arrestable offense now. You're going to, you're going to go to jail if this happens. Like, but you're such good people. And yeah. We saw at the beginning of the film, you're like family sitcom kind of yeah. cheesy, good people, family people. And here I am suddenly walking in on you, literally tearing someone <laughs> apart with a chainsaw. And at the same moment, we also get Mrs. Collinwood literally slice Sadie's throat, which was awesome. Yeah. And it's just, I thought that this end scene, I, I really liked it. I know like we said, it was a bit quick to get to these points. Yeah. But, but I end, also thought it played out as a really good, strong ending. Yeah, I think it, it definitely did. It was just a sh- it was just that it happened so quickly. For between me. there's between yeah, there's it. not more like psychological horror yeah, between them in the house and stuff. They can't just, just realize and then just go on the hunt for them. Right? Yeah, there's none of that kind of playing around with them. Um, but yeah, I, I I just really liked that scene. That cemented in my mind that actually I do think that this is quite a strong horror film. It just has let down. Yeah. For me, half the time it is the soundtrack that lets me down. <laughs> it just takes me out of the film. Um, not that there's not some other questionable things during the beginning, but once we hit from the woods onwards, it is quite a strong story. Yeah, that kind of plays out, and I do think that the characters, the fact that we get those moments like the killers reflecting, 
and like it's very strange done. Yeah. it is strange but it, it it worked for me it kind of hit a, a note of like they're actually realizing what they're doing so yeah it, it helped to flesh out the characters it felt deeper and that's it's moments like that and the breaking of the good people yeah it's the death of their daughter in a horrible way and her friend in the most horrific way um not that we get much mention of phyllis they don't notice any of that stuff kind of thing but it's the breaking that this film not only uh, gives us sadistic people doing horrible things but it also breaks good yeah. people and obviously that would have that became quite a big uh point for wes craven going forward you know particularly yeah. looking at the hills have eyes it's fair it is very a very similar revenge story yeah um it showed how good he is with character yeah definitely one of the strong points that always made his films good was the character like the characters even in the first nightmare on elm street are are stronger than we get in most of most of the sequel kind of thing you know um in scream it's what made those characters it's what makes us not want sydney dewey and gail to to die yeah it's purely because we enjoyed how they built those characters you know, it, it's those things. He he knew what to do. He knew how to make people sympathetic, but he also knew how to make us scared for their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why we miss Wes Craven so much. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish he got a chance to do in his time. He did Scream 4, which was, a, you know, brought the Scream franchise, I think, back up a bit. Definitely. But he didn't get many chances in the latest year to do great horror films, really. Like no, My Soul to Take and things like that. I didn't yeah. really do. I, like, that was okay but I, I wish there was more opportunities yeah, for definitely. Wes Craven towards you know the later years kind of thing um yeah. but yeah anyway on that uh, like I just thought that 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 suddenly cemented in my mind I was like yes it's not I'm not saying it's a I understand there are several points in terms of video nasty as we've pointed out you know you know there's there's suicide yeah there's rape. manipulation there's rape there's murder there's desecration there's, of a corpse yeah there's know? good people turning into sadistic people in a way yeah. you know like like not without reason but you know there's that shock on the face of the cops that something like this is actually happening in this kind of place yeah you know it, there's all of that there's there's weird dark humor and twisted i 100 percent understand why this film made it onto that, that yeah video nasty list and i think this is a you know this is a recurring feature that we will visit and i think it was a it was a good one to start off because thematically there's there is a lot in there i mean a lot of the video nasty stuff you know probably doesn't have the same similar themes only the the truly great ones will um but we hope that you've enjoyed uh kind of exploring the last half on the less with us and video nasties yeah. do you have anything any closing comments Seb? um no, as you as you said, it, it, it's something that I, I'm very interested in. And this film is, this film's fifty years old next year. Like that's mad. Shit, yeah, fifty years old. We've been covering forty year old films for them, but that's why it's so hard for us to really get our mindset. It's so far away from us being born. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's so like that. It's really hard for us to get the concept of like what life would have been like back then. Yeah to really get the full beat of this, like eight, even with the eighties, that full, like what would have video nasties been and every film will have a different perspective. But as you said, this film was a great one to start on purely because this one felt like it had one of the longest journeys to yeah. overcome that band cinema video nasty. And yeah, I really, I really love the, the whole history behind it and I can't wait for us to come back around another time to it. Yeah, uh, so we will leave you with that. Um, if you've enjoyed 
the show and our little uh, journey into the world of video nasties, then hit the subscribe button and leave us a lovely review. And we will see you for our next episode shortly. Take care. Bye-bye.